words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Some of you may have heard of the story of, reported on recently of the man in Iowa who was serving a life sentence without parole for first-degree murder. He got ill and died for a short time and was revived. And he then claimed that he had served his life sentence and should be freed because if he served his second, and uh, if he stayed in jail, he would be serving a second life sentence. He actually took that to district court and the motion was denied, <laughs> surprisingly, and not surprisingly. And in appeals, Judge Amanda Potterfield put an end to the debate or to the notion that he should be released by saying he is either alive, in which case he must remain in prison, or he is dead, in which case he should be in the ground. The point is mute. This is ridiculous. It sums up the convoluted thinking, the absurdity of the reasoning of the man who, in some ways, you can't blame for trying to get out of jail. But it is a thinking that is absurd and convoluted. And resembles in some ways the absurdity and the convoluted hypothetical scenario that the Sadducees put before Jesus. Already Jesus had answered the question about the coin, who should pay taxes, should, should we pay taxes to Caesar or what, to whom is our loyalty, and he got out of that by saying, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, and now the Sadducees are having a go at having him, trying to bait him with a convoluted hypothetical question about the resurrection, a resurrection, a concept, a theological point in which the Sadducees did not believe. So they were trying to play with Jesus, trying to mock central tenet of our faith, They pointed to the type of marriage that, in fact, was not, was still legal in the time of Jesus, but was barely practiced. They tried to mock the belief in the resurrection. But the question of the resurrection was not a hypothetical question for Jesus. He had just recently entered into Jerusalem and knew that those hosannas that he had heard would soon turn into shouts of crucify him, crucify him. For him, the resurrection was not a hypothetical question. For him, the resurrection was a hope in the God that had brought him to fulfill his mission and to transform the power of the death, the power of the cross, by and with 
the power of the resurrection, the power of the life and love and grace of God. It was not a hypothetical for Jesus who faced a cruel death. So Jesus did not take the bait of those who would mock the central tenets of our faith. And he used the scripture, one of the central, most important texts in the Torah, to talk about God as a God of the living, both the mortals and those who are living into life eternal. And he points to the story of the burning bush and Moses' revelation from God in that burning bush that did not consume, was not consumed, and how God gave him the revelation and Moses said that God said he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of those men having been long dead alive to God. God is a God of the living, not a God of the dead. Death is the end of many things, but not the end of everything. One of the things Jesus wanted to highlight as he committed to his course of transformation and grace and forgiveness, the course that took him to the cross and beyond. One of the things that he wanted to point out was that the relationship God seeks to forge with human beings in the here and in the now is one that transcends death, but it's not all about what happens after. Jesus says that the resurrection life is not this life all over again, but that we should not just be worried about what happens beyond our death. We should not be afraid of that. We should not be afraid of death. We should be liberated from the fear of death to do God's work now, to have the courage to proclaim God's hope and love and mercy now. And so we are reminded that after we invite Jesus' resurrecting presence into our life, our life, this life, is not ever the same. It is a new existence in which we participate in God's eternity and we look to be signs of salvation in the here and now, wherever we find ourselves, remembering the courage and hope of those who had gone before, the promises of God for we who live now, and the hope of the future generations of faithful to come. Death is the end of many things, but it is not the end of everything. We are not to be afraid. We are, in this mortal life, 
to look for ways that we can transform and free the powers of death, transform the powers of death from having power to guide us and to grip us in hopelessness and fear. Again, for Jesus, the resurrection was not an intellectual curiosity. It was not banter between men of uh, education. It was something that he was willing to face to bring us fuller life, to bring us into fullness of life now and after death. There's this wonderful quote that says, the world is created as a means of God's self-revelation so that like a mirror or a footprint, it might lead us to love and praise the creator. We are created to read the book of creation so that we may know the author of life. And I would go beyond. I would say we are created to participate in the book of creation to serve what we know of the resurrected one, the God of the living, here and now. Recently, this weekend, I saw the movie Harriet. And it reminded me that all humans who lived before us and who are not now among us are living to God. Look at the testimony this woman's life has for us even now. This woman who, when they did not know who she was, they gave her the name Moses because she liberated 70 slaves. She went back into treacherous territory after she had freed herself. She went to get her family, those who would come. She went to get those in her community who were enslaved by a religion that justified it, by a type of Christianity that said it was okay to enslave another human being. And she stood against that theology of death in the theology of the resurrection, knowing that God did not mean for another person to own another human being. Not only did she lead 70 slaves to freedom via the Underground Railroad. She also, in the Civil War, led a charge that freed 750 slaves. It's amazing. It's a great movie, not just because I love the lead actress and her voice, but because it reminds us of the courage to face the possibility of death with a faith that believes in the resurrection. God is a God of the living. And those who are gone are alive to God. 
So I have this picture on my phone that I took when I was visiting my brother in New Jersey and we were at his friend's house and we were, I don't know, listening to music and I was looking at his family pictures and this historic photo caught my eye. It was incredible. There was something different about it. It was 12 people and in that group there were women and men, there were children and adults, there were um, black and white, there were top hats and bonnets. It was a, 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 from another time, and, I, and so I asked about it. I said, is this your family? And my brother's friend Greg said, yes, that's my great-great-grandfather. He was a preacher, and he was an abolitionist. And that photo was taken in Philadelphia when they were preparing to free the enslaved African Americans in that photo by conducting them on the Underground Railroad from Philadelphia to Canada. They had already gotten them to Philadelphia and this minister and his family were to introduce them to the chain of churches that hid and nourished and helped people to freedom. That photo and the faith of those in it not only spoke in their former times, they speak to us today. Where are we called to witness against the power of death to the power of resurrection? Where are we called to not be distracted by absurd hypothetical questions, but to look to the essence of our faith and have the courage to entangle powers of sin, knowing that God promises that with God's love and mercy we will overcome. Today is our stewardship in gathering. In a little while, those who are prepared will bring their pledge cards that are for our annual budget for next year. And while it's a very practical thing that we do, it is not just a matter of paying the electric bill or buying a new uh, connector between the projector and the computer, which broke today right when we needed it. Giving to the church is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline in which we are called not to be afraid by what we think we don't have, but to give as much as we can to testify to the living God whose presence abides with us and through us can become a witness to the hope that is for all of us.
the hope of a, of a, of a healthy and free life, the hope of community, the hope of meaning. As we take care of this beautiful and expensive historic church, we keep it because, not because it's just beautiful, which is one wonderful reason, but because it is a sign to people who walk through here that God abides with them here and now, even when they do not still believe it. We give to be free from the chokehold that money has over us. We give for others. We give for others. Our family gives. We have our share of debt and our share of fear and our share of worries. But we give to the ministry and mission of this place because we believe in the power of resurrection. And we want in our day and age to give to the ministries that are signs of that truth and wonder. So again, we are not to be afraid of death because death is the end of many things, but it is not the end of everything. We are to move from fear of the powers that seem greater than ourselves and step out in faith and courage and courage and a God who keeps God's promises. God is a God of the living. And to him I say, thank you.